The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning, Bethlehem. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 23. Acts 4, 23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God like you who acts for those who wait for him. Lord, as we open your word, we do so in a posture of waiting. We recognize today, Lord, our need for you, for you to act for you to do it again, for you to satisfy our hearts again, for you to open our eyes again to see wonderful things in your word, to give us what we need to keep going. So speak, O Lord, through your word. Impress it on our hearts that we might speak in your power, about the name of our King Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you all, but I am a planner. I like calendar invitations, to-do lists. I even like productivity books. And I acknowledge that it wasn't my plan 24 hours ago to preach this morning. As the proverb says, 
The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We believe as a church that God is completely in control of all things. That the sovereign Lord always accomplishes his purposes down to the nitty-gritty details of life. We see just how precious and practical this doctrine of God's purposeful sovereignty is when our plans are disrupted. When our security or health are challenged. When we receive bad news. When we realize that we are not in control of our lives and don't know what to do. That's when God's sovereignty becomes sweet for us. Many in this room have experienced significant disappointments and disruptions in your plans, in your lives this past year. You may have come in this morning wondering if God really is good, if he really is control, or if, if maybe he's, he's overlooked something, namely your life. If that's your situation, I pray that you would take heart because of God's word to us here in Acts 4. As a downtown campus, we are in the midst of a series on the book of Acts called The Church on the Move. And one author has said that certainly the gospel moves in the book of Acts, but never without pain. The gospel moves, but it includes suffering and hardship and difficulty and changes of plans. The early church dealt with problems of all shapes and sizes, from Judas's betrayal to deceit and divisions within the community to threats and false accusations from opponents beatings and stonings by angry mobs, arrests and imprisonment by authorities. The list goes on and on. And yet, the church remained committed to its mission and the gospel went forth. In Acts 4, 23 through 31, we see that believers respond to pressing problems by praying together for power and persisting together in gospel witness. The outline for today's sermon is simple. PPP. Problems, prayer, and power. Let's look first at the problems in verse 23. Before we do that, let's review what happened earlier in Acts 3 and 4. Peter and John were going to their regularly scheduled prayer meeting. And along the way, they healed a crippled man in the name of Jesus. They proclaimed the good news that even though people had killed the author of life, God raised him from the dead and now offers pardon to rebels who would repent of their sins and turn to the risen Lord Jesus. And this message and this healing greatly annoyed the Jewish leaders. And they arrested the apostles and interrogated them. These leaders could not deny that a lame man was now walking and leaping and praising God. 
they were astonished by the boldness of these unschooled preachers. And so they threatened Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of this Jesus. And then they let him go. Now I expect that Peter and John did not appreciate being arrested, accused, and accosted by these authorities. That was not their plan as they went to that three o'clock prayer meeting. The text emphasizes their boldness and gospel zeal. But we shouldn't pretend that their problems weren't real and that they didn't hurt. It is instructive to us, I think, that these apostles didn't respond to their affliction with self-pity, but with humble, God-centered prayer with their friends. Peter and John knew Jesus intimately, more than any other humans knew Jesus. They ate with him. They ministered together. They heard his teaching and saw his miracles. They were eyewitnesses of his shocking death and his glorious resurrection. Now, we might be tempted to put these men on pedestals as apostles. But they recognized that they were a part of a community of Christ's followers. And so, in verse 23, when Peter and John were released, what did they do? They went to their friends And they reported what the chief priests and the elders had told them. They didn't sulk over their sufferings or withdraw in fear. They also didn't keep their troubles to themselves. Instead, they brought their pressing problems to their church family, who responded in corporate prayer. Remember earlier in Acts when the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and they had all things in common. They were living lives of sacrificial generosity. And our, our passage here reminds us that, that believers also, as they were together, they were bearing each other's burdens. They were supporting each other in prayer And they were encouraging each other to keep going in the mission. I'm challenged to see that the believers pray together as their first response to trouble. Not as their last ditch effort when they've exhausted all other options. This is what they did first, right away. We need to get some friends together and pray. Now our passage doesn't just tell us that the apostles and their friends prayed together. It tells us what they prayed and why they prayed. This brings us to our second point, prayer, in verses 24 through 30. We have here a God-centered, scripture-soaked appeal for God's power and provision for his people's time of need. This prayer offers us a model for how to respond to our problems, and keep going in our mission. First, this prayer is radically God-centered. The believers extol God for who he is and what he has done. Look in verse 24. 
where they address God as sovereign Lord. It's just one word in the Greek text. Could also translate it master or Lord. Or we might say boss. This, this word stresses that he is the one who has control and authority. And this divine title, Sovereign Lord, Master, orients the whole prayer. It's like calibrating a compass to true north. It's like tuning a piano to an A440 pitch standard. This prayer is, is tuning our hearts to sing God's praise, to rightly address him and also rightly see ourselves. John Calvin once observed that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face. And that's what they are doing in this prayer. They are starting by looking at God's face and declaring that you are the one who has all authority and all control. You are the master, and we are your humble servants. God is not peripheral, but supreme and central. And when we recognize him as our sovereign Lord, it puts everything else, ourselves, our problems, various challenges in our world, into their proper perspective. What has this sovereign Lord done? What's on his resume? Look again at verse 24. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is a quotation from Psalm 146, which says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them who keeps faith forever. The God who spoke galaxies into existence and holds the oceans in his hands is our help and our hope. It is better than recruiting Patrick Mahomes for your flag football team. It is better than having the incredible Hulk on your side to face an invading army. We believe that we can turn to the creator and sustainer of all things in simple prayer whenever we are in need, whenever there is trouble, when our problems feel insurmountable and impossible, the Lord of hosts is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us, Bethlehem? What has this sovereign Lord said? Look at verse 25. Through the mouth of our father David, your servant, you said something by the Holy Spirit. What did he say? Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed When they are facing pressing problems, they turn to God's word to orient their their understanding of, of what is happening and why. 
This psalm gives them a lens to make sense of their pressing problems. And, and, and it helps them to see that the united opposition to Christ and his people is not random. It is not outside of God's view. It is according to his plan. It is no surprise, perhaps, that the nations would rage against God's chosen king. But even the peoples of Israel and the Jewish ruler joined together to murder the Messiah. So what has this sovereign Lord planned? They keep going. What has this sovereign Lord planned? They keep going in verse 28 and affirm God's purpose in all of this. They say, these opponents of Jesus gathered together to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. God's purposeful sovereignty was at work on the darkest day of human history, in the most brazen act of human rebellion that ever was, the murder of the Messiah. This was God's plan. And when the church recognizes that Christ's crucifixion was God's purpose, according to the scriptures written long ago, they are able to make sense of the threats that they themselves are experiencing. Gives them strength to face that day's trouble. And so after centering their prayer on the sovereign Lord and looking at their problems through the lens of Scripture, the believers make their appeal in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There are two requests in these verses. Look and grant. They ask the sovereign Lord to see their situation and then supply what they need. To see and supply. It's similar to what the king of Judah Hezekiah prays in 2 Kings. When the king of Assyria is knocking on his door, is, is blaspheming the name of God, is bullying Judah, what does Hezekiah pray? He says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherim, which he sent to mock the living God. Save us, please, from his hand. And that night, do you remember what God did? 185,000 of Assyria's best and bravest soldiers lay dead. God was fighting for his people who humbled themselves in prayer. And that's what the church does here. They say, Lord, you see our situation. You know the threats against us. 
would you move in power? Would you supply our need right now? Notice that the church doesn't ask God to take away their trials. They don't say, stop our suffering. Rather, they pray for boldness to speak about Christ in their suffering. In the middle of all the problems. In the middle of all the challenges. Lord, would you help us to speak with courage and conviction and boldness that shows that it's not about us, it's about you? Now this doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for healing, that we shouldn't pray for relief from trouble. We've already done that in this service. God's word tells us to bear one another's burdens in that way. But the church here focuses their prayer not on their comfort, but on their calling to commend Christ. This isn't a prayer about me. It's a prayer about the mission to make Jesus known. And this brings us to our third P, power. Look at verse 31 where we see the awesome answer from God to this God-centered, scripture-soaked prayer. Luke writes, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The shaking room here in this text signals the powerful presence of God with his people. Like the rushing wind and the fire on the day of Pentecost two chapters earlier. Like the, the thunder and, and lightning on Mount Sinai when God showed up among his people. That's what's happening here. And they receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and keep on speaking. They are not overwhelmed or undone by the threats. They stay on the mission. This, this word that's translated boldness in our passage several times could also be rendered courage or confidence. It's the same word we saw in last week's sermon in chapter 4 verse 13 when the leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John. They recognized that they'd been with Jesus. It's, it's actually in the last verse of the book of Acts. The apostle Paul is in chains in Rome and he is preaching and teaching with all boldness, without hindrance. How can there be without hindrance if he's in chains? Under house arrest. How could he be bold in those circumstances? That's the wisdom of God and the power of God at work as the church is on the move, fulfilling its mission. Now, we may boldly express our views about politics and sports and vaccines and masks and social justice and all manner of things on social media. 
But are we known as a people for boldly, confidently speaking about Jesus? Boldness in the book of Acts refers to the powerful, open open statement of gospel truth. Often, when the church is under fire. This boldness doesn't come from rhetorical skill, from excellent education for the for, from the force of personality it comes from God who fills his people full of his spirit to accomplish his work in acts people are filled with different things the church's opponents are filled with jealousy and so they speak words that revile and refute the gospel. But Jesus' witnesses are filled with the Spirit and speak with God's power to declare God's word. Friends, we must pray for a fresh filling of God's Spirit so that we might speak God's word with heaven-sent courage in all of our pressing problems that we are facing. Earlier this month, I received an update from a friend who is a global partner serving in Asia. Local officials had just visited their Christian school. They opened the door and started yelling at school administrators and parents. The officials confiscated school documents and a school computer, and they shut down the school. They banned them from meeting in the building that they had rented leaving the school, and our friends with lots of questions. What do we do? I thought this is why we moved across the world. Isn't this your will, God? What do we do next? Now, this sort of experience is typical for believers in many parts of the world today. And as Pastor Jason reminded us last week, we should be ready ourselves for increasing opposition to the gospel in our culture. What will we pray and what will we say in the face of such threats? Our passage today summons us to respond to our problems by praying together and persisting in speaking God's word with power. And so to close I want us to do that together. I'd like us to gather in small groups uh, around the sanctuary, just where, whichever pew you're in. And I want you to take a few moments as a church and pray together. Pray for our church. Pray for our neighbors. Pray for our global partners. Pray for one another that we might have fresh sight of our sovereign Lord that we might have fresh filling by his spirit and fresh courage to speak about our Savior. I'll pray and move us into that time of prayer. Oh Lord, would you shake this sanctuary with your supernatural power? Would you fill us as your humble weak, desperate people with your 
Spirit, that we might speak about your Son. Be pleased to hear our prayers now as a congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.